0: listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. We've all heard that phrase, money can't buy happiness. But is it true? It turns out the answer is both yes and no. There was a study done a number of years ago at Princeton University, and it asked people about their happiness versus their income. And as it turns out, increased income can correlate to increased happiness up to a certain point. And the point is, once people have their basic needs met, increased income doesn't really correspond to increased happiness. That is, once they can pay for food and shelter and clothing and have a certain amount of security and safety, More income doesn't mean more happiness, and that doesn't make a lot of sense. I remember hearing the phrase, money can't buy happiness, when I was little, and I thought, I wonder if a rich person made that up. I mean, let's face it, most people, when they're asked, do they make enough money, will say no, that they need more. But the the funny thing is, is that people of all incomes seem to say that, they think that that would kind of solve their problems, that that would make them happy. But that's just not the case. Psychologists tell us that there's a number of reasons why this is so. Uh, I'd like to share a few of those with us today. One of those is called the Jones Effect. So we've all heard of this too, kind of keeping up with the Joneses. We compare ourselves to others, particularly when it comes to material goods, often with those who have more. Now when it comes to comparing ourselves to others' behavior, Their morality or their ethics. We'll compare ourselves to those who behave worse than us. So we'll compare down when it comes to behavior, but we'll compare up when it compares to material things. There's an old children's video called Veggie Tales, and in it uh, Larry the Cucumber is singing a song, uh, Everyone Has a Water Buffalo, but his friend Bob the Tomato stops him from singing that. He's like, Larry, everyone doesn't have a water buffalo. That's, that's the Jones effect. We think that we need to have what everyone else has. And so keeping up with the Joneses is, is never possible. There's always someone who has more. And so trying to do that never brings us happiness. This brings us to kind of a second point, which is called a happiness treadmill. The idea that if you just work and work and work, you'll eventually get there. And the problem with that, of course, is Once you reach your goal, there's always a new goal to be obtained. You never really get to get off the treadmill. The key here, I think, is that instead of trying to put your happiness in the accomplishment of the goal, try and find a way to be happy on your way there. The journey can bring more happiness than the actual accomplishment. This, um, can also lead to another phenomenon called the happiness mirage. And this is a really sad part, I think. And that is people who believe that happiness can uh, come from, from money or from things are trapped by it. Their lives are kind of sabotaged by that idea that they'll often kind of therapeutically treat their emotional needs by purchasing things. Uh, often things they can't afford, and then they get in debt that causes even more problems. So between kind of keeping up with the Joneses or being on the happiness treadmill or kind of chasing after that mirage, we find ourselves never really increasing our happiness. There's the fourth point from the psychologist was that there's a basic kind of happy set point that we each have. And really we don't deviate from that too much either one way or the other. We don't go too much above that or below that. And so the key, I think on a very practical way is to lean into love and to beauty and to find a way to be happy where we are, a sense of contentment. Because if you can do that, if uh, finances and money and opportunity come in the future, you can find you can still be happy then, but if if you can't be happy now, chances are you won't be happy if things get better. This is part of what Walter Brueggemann was talking about in the opening video, when he was talking about materiality as resistance. So I want to be careful how we define some terms here. Materialism is the idea that only things that are material, like that you can consume matter. The opposite of that is spiritualism, which is only that spiritual things matter. Now, both of these extremes, I think, are problematic, and we want to stay away from them. A good Christian spirituality understands that we are not just souls, but we're also bodies. And we believe, right, in the goodness of creation. We confess this in the creed, that we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. God is the creator and God said it is good. And so this is why I think Bruegelman is arguing for like ministers of materiality, so that we can think through and put into practice good Christian kind of integration when it comes to material things. This is what our passage speaks about today which comes from 1 Peter, chapter 1. If you invoke as Father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish, He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. Amen. There are a few things that I just want to highlight from this passage. That opening the opening verse there referenced that in your time of exile. Now, Peter knew well that the Jews had experienced this major exile in Babylon. And he's using that, I think, as an example of the, the time that, dis, uh, that they find themselves in, known as the diaspora or the dispersing, where they were kind of spread out kind of all over. And I think we too can, can reach back into that Jewish history and identify with the time of struggle. This is like an exile for us. We are separated from one another. We're quarantined. We're practicing kind of physical distancing. But it's times like this that I think we can really find out who we truly are. Before the quarantine, before the coronavirus, we were all very busy in our lives, kind of running the the rat race, um, often kind of motivated by by greed and distrust and um, consumerism, um, materialism even. And one of the things that I think slowing down can teach us is that there are other things that are more important, things that are imperishable, things that aren't perishable. And that's, that's another piece that speaks to us today. Uh, Peter says that we don't have to lean on what our ancestors did, those kind of feudal things. Brueggemann mentioned a few things in his uh, video. He talked about greed, fear, and violence. And that is the way of the world. The world is kind of um, eaten up with these things, greed, fear, and violence. But that's not the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is about generosity, trust, and peacemaking. I'd like us to think for a minute too about Joseph from Genesis. Uh, Brueggemann has a very interesting read on that as well. You remember in the story that Pharaoh was the richest person in all the world at the time, kept having this dream about cows. These seven cows would come out of the Nile and they were they were fat and healthy and they looked great. And then seven other cows would come out of the Nile and they were skinny and and they looked really bad and they would kind of devour the healthy cows. And then his dream went in and it freaked him out. And I get that. That's a pretty, pretty bizarre dream. But when Joseph interpreted the dream, he said, this means that we're going to have kind of seven great years, and then we're going to have seven really lean years, seven years of famine. And it caused Pharaoh to be scared. I mean, of all people in the world, to be afraid of an economic dip. This is the single wealthiest person in the world at that time. And he was gripped by the fear of scarcity he thought there won't be enough. And his fear of scarcity led to anxiety, and his anxiety led him to accumulate all the goods that he could. And his his attempt at accumulation would eventually lead to a monopoly. And that monopoly, while it would provide for some during the time of the famine, also ended up putting all those people into slavery. And sadly, Joseph was complicit in that phenomenon because the first seven years, Joseph took things from the people. Everybody kind of turned in their grain, and the storehouses were full at the end of the seven years. But after the first year of famine, when there weren't any kind of crops to to harvest, they came to Joseph and said, hey, we we need some of the the grain that's been stored. And he said, well, that's going to cost you. And so they had to pay for it and they gave their money. The next year, the famine was still in place and they came back to Joseph and they said, hey, we we need some more grain. And he said, well, you're gonna have to pay for it. And they're like, well, we we gave you all of our money last year. And he said, well, you have livestock. And so they, they gave their livestock to Pharaoh. The next year they came again. Now without any money and out any livestock, They gave their land to get grain. And then the next year, without any money, without any livestock, and without any land, all they had was to give themselves. And so they did. And so they all end up in slavery. And that becomes the the story, the futility of the world. It's the narrative of Pharaoh. It's a myth of scarcity. It's a story that says, There's not going to be enough, and you should be anxious about it. And you should do all you can do to accumulate all you can to make sure you have enough. But I want to say that the gospel is a different story completely. It is not a myth of scarcity. It is a promise of abundance. That God created a world that can produce all that we need. And that even in the world today, we don't have a food shortage We have a distribution challenge. It's not that we don't have enough food to feed everyone. It's that we're not distributing it in ways that everyone gets what they need. And so the gospel of abundance will lead us to a sense of peace. And and out of that sense of peace, we can be generous. And that's the story. That's the story that we find in the gospel. And that's what I believe We see in 1 Peter that silver and gold did not purchase what we have. In fact, silver and gold could not have purchased what we have. What's purchased what we have is the blood of Jesus Christ. And what it has given us is not just a spiritual reality, but it's given us a way to integrate spirituality and materiality, to be the kind of people that we need to be. It's it's how the passage ends when it says, now that you've been obedient and you have genuine love, it says, now love one another. And that's exactly what I think we're doing, and it's exactly what I think we need to continue to do. Let me put this in some very practical terms for us. Our government, the U.S. government, is sending us stimulus checks. Now, some of you maybe have already received them and the rest of you who haven't will be receiving them in the near future. Now, if you find yourself in in a difficult situation economically, uh, perhaps you've lost your job, or perhaps your hours have been cut, or perhaps you are genuinely not in danger of providing those kind of basic needs, then by all means, please use that to provide for yourself. But some of you, perhaps, are in a better situation. Your income hasn't really changed. And so you find yourself basically with just some extra money. So what I'm going to challenge you to do is to pray about what you ought to do with that. Perhaps you know someone, maybe in your family, maybe in your circle of friends who has lost their job. Maybe they're they're, they're in a field where they've not been able to work. And so all of that's been suspended. I would encourage you to pray about that and be generous with any extra that you have. Perhaps there's some of us that um, could even donate the totality of our stimulus checks. So if you can, I would encourage you to share it again with your family or those in your friends, your circle of friends, or even here with the church. What we're going to do is uh, we have a ministry called Dirty Hands. And any money that comes in that is kind of uh, designated um, for dirty hands or part of the COVID-19 kind of stimulus, we'll make sure that that money gets into the hands of people in our community who are in need and need that's been kind of created because of our current crisis. I think this would be a good way for us to show that we do have mutual love for one another and to show that We're not kind of committed to silver and gold, but we're committed to that which is kind of imperishable and that is people and their lives and the well-being of our community. There are three conditions, I think, that need to be in place in order for us to experience abundance as opposed to kind of um, being victims of this myth of scarcity. The first is a strong belief in creation. As I was saying earlier, we confess this in the Apostles' Creed. We say, we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. He created all of spiritual reality and all of material reality. And this is what God had to say about it. It's good. Creation is good. God created a world um, where we can have economies, where we can have nations, where we can have food, when we can have um, technology. It's amazing. We have so very much and a belief in God as creator, as a good creator of a good creation, I think will draw us into this kind of good news of a gospel of abundance and will help us to resist this kind of myth of scarcity that is told not just in ancient times, but in our times too. A second kind of precondition to to really um, experience this this gospel of abundance is the Sabbath. Now, for some of you that are continuing to work, I would encourage you um, to practice regular Sabbaths. But for those of you um, like me, who your schedule has been significantly altered because of the coronavirus, I would encourage you to still keep somewhat of a regular schedule. You know, keep working uh, morning and afternoon or, or some in the evening if you need to. But also to take a lunch break and also to, to keep a Sabbath. What the Sabbath says is, we're going to kind of rest from our productivity. We're going to rest from our work. We're going to give the earth and nature an opportunity to just kind of uh, recoup from our activity in it. I mean, in some ways that's something that our quarantining might be doing. It might be kind of good for the, the earth to have a breather. And so our Sabbaths are a statement of faith that our lives don't simply depend on our ability to provide for ourselves, but our lives depend on God. The third condition uh, or precondition for a gospel of abundance is doxology. That is, that we need to glorify God. In the doxology, it says, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him All creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You see, the reason that we give is not simply because there's a need. The reason we give is out of gratitude, because God has given to us. There's nothing that we have that did not have its origin in God, no good thing. Our ability to think and to create, um, our energy to work, the breath that we breathe. And so we are grateful for God, for God's creation. We are grateful for his son, Jesus Christ, and his death and resurrection that we celebrate. And it's out of our gratefulness that we respond to the need. And so I encourage us to do that. I'd like us to, to, to close our service today or this part of our service with um, some reflections on those three conditions of the of gospel abundance, uh, creation, Sabbath, and doxology. And I'm going to pray uh, three prayers, uh, one around each of those. God in heaven, We are grateful that you are the maker of heaven and earth. We praise you and we give you glory that you are the creator. And Lord, we receive the revelation that you said creation is good. And Lord, we just pray that you would continue to bless your creation. May it be fruitful and abundant. And may we, live in a gospel of abundance with generosity, trust and peacemaking and resist the greed and the fear and the violence of this world. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings prayer to the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus Christ, you said that you were the Lord of the Sabbath and that people were not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for people. Lord, I pray that you would give us rest. Lord, let us rest in you. Put our trust in you so that we might be generous with that which you have given to us, and that we might be agents of peace, not agents of violence. Deliver us from fear. Deliver us from greed. Help us to be generous with others as you have been generous with us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Son and Holy Ghost. Dear God, you do deserve all the glory and honor and power and might and blessing forever and ever. As in the book of Revelation, the four living creatures, creatures and the 24 elders and the angels and angels, they sing and they give you glory. They give you glory because you are creator. They give you glory because you are savior. They give you glory because you are worthy. And Lord, you are worthy. And we turn our eyes to you. And we trust that in wonder and awe of who you are, any sense of lack or fear, anxiety will fade away in a revelation. Get every good and perfect gift and all that we need comes from you. Amen. Praise God from home, blessings for Praise Him, all creatures. He'll be.